This is What The Flux. I'm Brett. And I'm Justin. And it's Thursday, the 29th of July. Justin, 10% of Commonwealth Bank branches will close their very doors from mid-September, my wow. friend. Yes, CBA branches are feeling the pinch from the big move to online banking. B-Man, Facebook is moving ahead with its plan to build an Instagram for kids under 13. Ugh. And that's despite lawmakers and child safety groups asking Facebook to please reconsider because of privacy and mental health risks. Three truly obedient stories today, Justin. Let's do it. For our first, Spaceship, the micro-investing app, is now managing more than a billion dollars in investments for around 200,000 Australians. Another one in the super fund race here, B-Man. Mm. What is the story? All right, some background, Juzzy Boy. The Spaceship app launched in 2016 as a kind of new age super fund. With big names like Mike Cannon-Brooks from Atlassian promoting it. But after a quite a big founder breakup, mm-hmm. Justin, and other issues, Spaceship evolved into a micro-investment app. So what does it do now? It basically basically lets Aussies deposit small amounts of money when they spend money. And the company's seen pretty huge growth over the last 12 months. And it can thank COVID for that one. 2020 saw heaps of Aussies try their hand at investing. Some jumped straight into Comsec and picked their own shares or funds. And others took a more passive approach and jumped into micro-investing. So what's the key learning here? Micro-investing is the process of investing small amounts of money when you spend money. Think a few bucks or even a few cents. For instance, Justin, some apps round up your everyday purchases and invest invest that money. So if your coffee costs $4.50, they'll round up that purchase and invest the 50 cents. And then what happens is that money goes into kind of like a pre-mixed fund managed by a professional investor. Why it works for some people is you're kind of investing without even having to think about it. And it's uh, pretty cheap. So micro-investing is a pretty simple way to get started on the investment journey. For our second story, Tiffany & Co. is getting a big brand makeover and is aiming to target younger consumers with an aggressive campaign and leave the oldies behind. Ooh, out with the old, in with the new customers, Brett. Tell me more. Okay, so Tiffany is the 184-year-old jewellery brand famous for its blue boxes and silver locks. And of course, the famous song Breakfast at Tiffany's was made after the brand. Now here's a little tidbit for you, Justin. Mm -hmm. Tiffany's actually owned by luxury fashion house LVMH. The same LVMH that owns brands like Louis Vuitton. Ton and Moe. Now, when you think of Tiffany, you're possibly thinking Audrey Hepburn in kind of like a classy black dress, hair in a bun, you know? Mm, how did you know? But that is all changing. And now, Tiffany is making a bold bet. Yep, the brand is shaking things up with their latest ad campaign, and it's all about not your mother's Tiffany. Ooh, it's got a 20-something-year-old woman dressed in jeans and a white singlet with a real strong don't-mess-with-me look. So what is the key learning here? Iconic brands sometimes need to risk alienating their biggest fans in order to get a new fan base. You see, Tiffany's new brash out there campaign might alienate or scare off older customers. But if they get it right, then Tiffany's in for a whole new client base. Tiffany's owner, LVMH, they know a thing or two about revamping brands. Talk me through it. Well, they've been there and done that with Louis Vuitton and Fendi and even Dom Perignon. Delicious. And now they're deliberately causing a stir to get people talking. And because the brand is so huge and so iconic, Mm -hmm. LVMH can push the boundaries a little. Without really damaging Tiffany's Tiffany's strong history and strong brand recognition. For our third and final story, Duolingo, the language learning app, is so confident about its upcoming IPO, it's raising its individual price of a share in the IPO. To be honest, Brett, I've never felt more guilty than when the Duolingo owl starts crying. If you know, (laughs) you know. Tell me more. All right, so for those a little less familiar, Mm -hmm. Duolingo helps users learn up to 40 languages. It started back in 2011, and this year it's clocked around 300 million global users. And uh, it's worth around 3.3 billion smacker. 
Rooney's. But get this, it could be ready to smash that number in its upcoming IPO. Now, initially, Justin, Duolingo went to the market asking for around 90 US dollars per share. But now they're feeling so confident about their company's ambitions that they're now asking for around $100 per share. Bang, so what is the key learning here? If you can't find the right business model to start with, try again and again <laughs> and again. For a long time, Duolingo struggled to find a way to monetize their service. Because it was meant to be free and accessible for the masses. Justin, their first attempt at monetization was providing translation services to businesses. But that didn't work, so it moved on to the premium subscription space. And given that that kind of worked, Duolingo also included ads on the platform for non-paying users. And finally, Duolingo's offered language tests for users to gauge their progress. Moral of the story, my man, Duolingo is still on the lookout for more sources of revenue. But B-Man, new investors in Duolingo can be pretty confident that they've built a model that can continue to find new revenue streams. Let's hope so. Flux fam, a massive shout out to Kiki Do You Love Me for her unbelievable review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. Kiki said, I would rate more stars if I could. Kiki, do you love me? <laughs> Flux fam, if you're loving the pod and want a shout out as well, make sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.